Yeah, as many of you know, I went to, to Texas uh, last week and, or two weeks ago and got an opportunity to go back and visit family, and it was a great time. And what I was reminded of is there's a lot of things that are in Texas that are happening in Texas right now that are still the same, still the exact same from when I was a kid, when I was a young adult, when I was growing up um, and living in Texas. One of the things that's still the same is there are churches on every single corner. It's like COVID did nothing to affect uh, the churches in Texas. I'm sure it did internally, but externally the buildings are still there and they are big. And I oftentimes was driving by and I'm like, oh, that'd be nice to have that whole entire football field for Compass Active. Um, But I mean, just churches on every single corner. Not necessarily great churches, but churches, church buildings, right? Um, That was one thing. Um, The other thing that I had the opportunity um, to to see is this, the the gas prices. They are still far less than they are here. And I almost felt like I was doing something immoral when I was filling up the gas tank out there because it's like $2 and something. Yeah, you don't ever see that. $2 $2 and change to fill up the gas tank. So it wasn't even my car, didn't even need gas, but I'm like, let's just do it because <laughs> this is a great feeling to see it say $50 to fill a tank as opposed to triple digits. Uh, so that, that was the same. Uh, the other thing that was the same that um, I knew this going into it, but it just reaffirmed this uh, as I got the chance to experience it is uh, when we are all in heaven, our meal will be Texas barbecue. It just has to be. It's that good. I mean, as I'm eating it, I'm just like, am I here? No, I'm not here. I'm not here. I still see sin around me. But uh, as you eat it, I just just know. Uh, I don't have a biblical reference or text to point you to, but I just know in my heart we will have Texas barbecue for all eternity. Here's the thing that's different, though. Um, As I go back to Texas, going back nowadays, being a, a new creation, a believer, Uh, more so or uh, completely different than what I was before is uh, the things that I want to do when I go to Texas, the people that I want to surround myself with, uh, because it's different. Because when I was there before, obviously, when I was in Texas, I wanted to party, I wanted to have a good time, and I wanted to live life. Um, And that was my whole MO. And so uh, when, when I got there, when I come home from college, it's like, who wants to hang out? Who wants to have a good time? And those are the people that I would seek out. Um, and there, I'd have some people in my family, some relatives that, you know, when they came around, they were kind of weird. And they kind of just cramped my style a little bit. Um, I'd be in a, a good mood and ready to party and have a good time. And then they'd come around talking about the Bible. And I'm like, okay, can you do this on Sunday? Uh, not today. And I thought they were weird. Um, but now they're my favorite people. Uh, so I don't know what that says about me because I go seek them out. Um, because I want to be around them, uh, and I want to talk about God's Word. And even when we go to Texas, it's not about just going to catch up on all these old things that I used to do. Uh, I want to go to church out there. We went to visit Pastor PJ's uh, the church plant in North Texas, and so just being edified there and uh, spending my time hanging out with them, because that was fun. That's fun to me. That's completely different than what it used to be, but that's what I want to do. Because that's my life, right? I, anything I can do to be pleasing to the Lord, anything that I can do to continue to be spurred on, I want to be all about that. And so that was different from the time that I would spend before in Texas. My aim is to be drawn closer to the Lord. Uh, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and you know you've become a, a new creation in Christ, and so you've had those 
similar changes in your life. Those motivations have changed. The people that you hang out with change. The things that you consider fun have changed in your life. However, my uh, point I want to make today that um, even if you're a Christian, as a Christian, a new creation in Christ as a Christian, um, although your life doesn't look, shouldn't look like your old self or shouldn't look like the rest of the world, if we're not diligent and we're not uh, confessing sin and we're not having that introspection to make sure that um, or examining our hearts to make sure that our life is not what it used to be and our life is in step with how God uh, tells us our life should be, there can be areas in our life where we look just like our former self. Maybe not your whole life, but there can be pockets and areas and, and places in your life where you look like your old self. And you and I need to know how to guard against that. We need to know how to guard against that. And it starts off by considering the motivations of your life. Considering the motivations of your life. We need to start by what's motivating my decision, what's motivating my actions, what's motivating everything that I do in my life. And that's going to help you stay on a straight and narrow path when it comes to living a life that is pleasing according to the, to the Lord. It starts with your motivation. And what I love about our passage this morning is Paul gives us what we can glean from this passage is two foundational motivations that you and I should have as Christians. And if we have these two foundational motivations as Christians, then we can be certain that we are headed down the right path because we are motivated by the right things. We're thinking about the right things before we even make a decision. And so let's go ahead and open up to our passage, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24, and let's see what those two foundational motivations are. And if you clearly have these in your life, if you're motivated by these things in your life, then it will, one, completely set you apart from your old self. You will see a clear difference in every area of your life, and you will see a clear difference from you in the rest of the world. And that was Paul's message to the Ephesians and those that were in that area that he was writing to is you shouldn't be like your old self. You should be completely different than your old self. You should be completely different than everybody else that's in Ephesus around that area during the time because you are in Christ. Your motivation is different. Your, your mindset is different. Your worldview is different because you are in Christ and no longer in the flesh. So let's pick it up in verse 17, chapter 4 of Ephesians. I'll read it all the way through and then we'll go back and look at the first section first. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So as we go back up to verse 17 uh, and slow this down just a little bit, just so we can understand what is going on, what Paul is saying in this passage, looking at verse 17, he says, now I say this, right? I say this, everything that I'm saying before, previous to this, everything that I just said, talking about the new life, the new creation, what your new walk should look like. Now I say this, and then he puts in this extra phrase, and testify in the Lord. I testify in the Lord. That means he's, he's got something serious to say. He's got something that he's about to insist upon that they listen. This is not just Paul talking. This is, I'm testifying on behalf of the Lord. You should hear what I'm about to say because this is of great importance. And he says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he's not talking about just Gentiles in general because some of these Gentiles that he's speaking of, they are now Christians. So you can use that word and say, as the pagans do, as the non-believers do. You can no longer do that. In the futility, right, emptiness, vanity, right, there's no purpose in their minds to what they're doing. In the futility of their minds, purposelessness, they are darkened in their understanding. Right? The, the, the lights are out. They are, they are blind. When we look at a, a non-believer and the reason that they don't get things the same way you get things or the reason they don't understand the Bible the same way that you understand the Bible and they're reading the same thing is because their minds are darkened. Right? They're blinded. There's another word for that. It's, called, it's, it's, it's stupefy. Right? That means you're unconscious. Right? You look at a boxer or a fighter or something like that and they get knocked out and they're on the mat and one minute they were up and then the next minute they were like, where am I at? Right? That, that's the stage that non-believers are in. They're blinded to the rest of the world. They're unconscious to everything that's going on in the reality of this world, right? They're darkened in their understanding. They don't understand. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So their hearts become hardened. And then the next word in there is it becomes callous, right? They're, 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 that sin that's happening in their life, it doesn't bother them. Why? Because they're callous to it. Their heart is hardened. They're completely alienated from God. You and I are, are seeking to please God. They're over here doing something completely different. So sin is not a big deal. Not a big deal to them. They don't see it. It doesn't matter. They don't have any shame about the sin in their life because they're callous, hardened of heart. And then he says they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, which is basically a violation of everything that's socially acceptable. They've completely gone off the rails, and they're, they're, they're on their own agenda, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, right? All these lawless things, all these things that God says do not do, the world is going to do them, and they're going to try to convince you that they're doing it for the right reasons. Does that sound familiar? Matter of fact, let's go to Romans 1, 18 through 32. Turn there with me, Romans 1, 18 through 32, because what Paul is writing here is just a brief summary of what he expounded on in the book of Romans in the first chapter in talking about where this callousness, where this hardness of heart can take you. Romans 1, 18 through 32, Paul says this, same, same situation going on here. He's talking about the ungodly. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, you might ask, well, what if they don't know the truth? What if they're not trying to? Well, here's the answer to that question. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Everybody can see it. But because God has shown it to them, Every time you look at a sunset, every time you look at the sky, every time that you look at the sunrise and the sunset, that is God. That is God's hand at work. So 
It's plain to them. God has shown it to them, even in creation that bears witness that there is a God. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Since the beginning, God has been showing himself to every individual that walks the face of this earth in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Nobody walking the face of this earth has an excuse of, well, I didn't know God. I don't care about the argument of what about the person that's in that far, far country. They've never seen a Bible. They never heard about creation bears witness that there is a God. So he's telling us that. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. In their foolish hearts were, there's our word, darkened. So we see futility, futile, in their thinking, and then darkened. Same words we get in our passage in Ephesians, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, that's a lot of people, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what will God do? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up to that. You, you want, that's what you want? You want impurity? You want all these things that are against me? Go, have at it. Have at it. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Look, here's the thing. God's not going to force himself on anybody. Look, if you want sin, if you want evil, if you want wickedness, God's going to eventually turn you over and say, have at it. Have at it. Have at it. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous degree, they know it that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but here's the thing, they give approval to those who practice them. So not only are you sinning and you running away from God, you're sitting there clapping and patting the back and encouraging more people to do the same. Does that not sound like what we're dealing with today? It sounds exactly what we're dealing with today. I mean, think about what's a hero today. A hero is not somebody that's courageous, that's saving a family, that's, that's, that, that's going out and, and fighting on behalf of our country. A hero is somebody that's coming out of the closet saying, you know what, God got it wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a man, I'm actually a woman. People applaud that. You're a hero for doing that. You're so courageous. You're so bold for doing that. Right? A, a, a hero today is somebody that is fighting abortion rights. Somebody that's fighting to kill more and more and more and more babies. Our world is saying, yep, that's what we need to do. That, 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 that's courageous, right? We're standing up for what's right. Is that not exactly what Paul is saying here? Is that not exactly what God's word is telling us? that eventually people are going to become so calloused, so hardened in their heart, 
so against God that God's going to turn them over to a debased mind and they're going to keep running and make you feel like you're an idiot and you're uh, 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 somebody that's, that's a, a hater, somebody that, that is not trying to support other people because you're doing the God-pleasing thing. It's exactly where we are. Exactly where we are today. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about individuals that um, um, are, celebrate, are celebrated for coming out the closet or, or pushing abortion rights. Here's the reason why we need to be praying for them. Because they're blinded. We shouldn't hate the person. We should hate the sin. And this passage allows us to know that, right? Remember, I told, they're unconscious. They're knocked out. They don't even know what they're thinking, stupefied, right? It's almost like somebody being intoxicated. They think they got all the right things. Oh, I got all. I'm a brilliant person. Dude, you're stupid. You're, let me help you out. Let me help you out. So it's not that for most people that they're saying, I just want to do evil. They think they're doing good because they're darkened in their understanding. Their hearts are calloused. God has turned them over to their sin. You want that? You want impurity? You want all it? Go ahead and have it. Have it. That's where we are today. People think they're doing right, right? And they're giving approval to people that continue to get behind this evilness. It's exactly what's happening here. The world is going to go, grow cold and it's going to continue to do that. And Paul wanted his audience to know that. And he wanted them to understand, just like God wants us to understand today, that we need to be different in all areas of our life. You shouldn't be like your old self. You shouldn't be like the rest of the world. You know, we can read a passage like what we're talking about in Ephesians, and we can read this passage in uh, Romans 1, and we can automatically think about it. And I know many of you did, because I did too. It's like you automatically think about that extreme atheist in your mind. Like, that, yeah, that person right there. Right, that governor, right, or that person that's that's leading uh, this 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 campaign and all those things. You're thinking about that person, but here's here's my question: What about you as a Christian? When we talk about callousness, when we talk about futility, when we talk about darkening your understanding, what about you as a Christian? Because again, my contention at the beginning of the sermon was not this this is not your whole life, but what about areas in your life where you are futile in your thinking. I just think about your money. All right, we talk about purposelessness. We talk about vanity. We talk about emptiness. How much does money drive your schedule? How much does money drive your agenda? How much does money drive your motivation, your happiness, whether you're happy or sad one day, whether you're frustrated or angry? How much does money Something that is vanity at the end of the day. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. But how much does money drive that? What about being darkened in your understanding? There's some of you in here, we talk about reading the Bible every single day, and you still do not open up the Bible. And here's the excuse you give. I've been a Christian for decades. I know how this is. I know how this goes. That's reading the DBR, that's for those new Christians that need to learn more about God. I got this down. All right? You're being darkened in your understanding because you're not being enlightened 
enlightened means you're reading, the God, you're reading God's word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, living and active. Every time we read God's word, we get illuminated. God opens our eyes to something that we didn't see before. That's why when you read the DBR every year, there's sometimes where you, you, you go to highlight something and it's not highlighting. And you're like, how did, I, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? That's the only thing I see on the page this year. Why? Because God illuminated your mind. He enlightened your mind to something based on the season that you're in, based on what you're going through. And so if you're not opening up God's word to study it daily and allow that to guide your life, then you are being darkened in your understanding because you're missing the opportunity to be enlightened. You're being darkened in your understanding. Hardness of heart, callousness. What about your marriage? Some of you in your marriage right now, you, you, you've gone so deep into a hole that you don't even see it as sin anymore, what you're doing. Right? It's not even a big deal. When you originally did it, when you first started doing this in your marriage, whether it be an argument or whether it be uh, whatever you guys had conflict about, then, then it, it, it stung a little bit because you knew it wasn't right. But because years and years and years and years and years have gone by and you keep doing the same thing and you refuse to change, then you've become callous to that. That's sin. And to you, it's not a big deal anymore. But to God, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. You've hardened your heart in this area of your life. Some of you right now, you, 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 you're in the same house with your wife, but you might as well just be roommates because there's no more benefit than that. You barely even talk to one another, but you're under the same roof. That's not pleasing to the Lord. But because in that area of your life, I'm not saying your whole entire life, but that area of your life, You've not confessed sin. You've not examined your heart. You've not aimed to say, am I pleasing the Lord? You've grown callous in your marriage. The most important relationship that we should have here on earth because God has gifted you with your spouse. You've grown callous to that. As a Christian, our whole life should be characterized by pleasing God down to every single decision that we make. And everything that you do you need to make it your aim. Your number one goal is to say, my priority here is to please God. In everything that I'm doing, everything that I say, every action that I take, my priority is to please God. That would be the great foundation to start. When we talk about motivations for things that we do in our life, let's just start there. Everything that I do, I want to please God. Let me just please God with this decision, and then let, let, let's, let's pray about it, let's talk about it, but let me have my motivation be to please God. Let's write that down for point number one. Make it your priority to please God. Make it your pri priority to please God. Because guess what? Those that Paul is talking about, those Gentiles, those pagans that he's telling them, you can no longer be like them. Their goal is not to please God. Matter of fact, Romans 8.8 8 tells us those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They can't please God. Right, because they're in the flesh. They're already saying, I don't need your Jesus. I don't need a Savior. But even if my life looks morally okay, uh, you're not pleasing to God because you're rejecting the Savior. Our priority needs to be to please God. And that was certainly Paul's priority while he was here on earth, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 10. Here's what Paul says. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. We'd, we'd much rather be with Christ. 
So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul's saying, it doesn't matter where I'm at. My aim is to, to please God. And that's the beauty about being a Christian. We don't have to get caught up in oh, what's the right decision, whose side should I be on, or, or, or how, should I, how should I go about this. Our motivation, our foundational motivation should be, how can I please God? I don't care about whose side I'm on. Right? You're, you're doing counseling, and it's a husband and wife. Whose side are you going to be? I'm neither. I don't want either one of you to win. I want God to win. Right? My aim is to, to please God. And when you do that, like Paul, we can be of good courage if your aim is to please God. Right? You, you, you got a job opportunity to get promoted or, or to get transferred. It's not about how much money I'm going to make. It's not about how this is going to best suit my family. It's not about uh, uh, how this is going to advance my career. Your, your, your aim should be how can I please God in that decision? How can I please God? Because he's the one that gave it to me. He's the one that can take it away. Right? You, you got a parenting decision. Some of you have had wayward children, right? Some non-Christian children. You got parenting decisions. Sometimes those decisions are hard to make because you love them. You love your kids. But your answer shouldn't be, what should I do to make my kid happy? Your answer should be, how can I please God in this? How can I please God in this decision that I'm about to make? Tax season coming up, right? There's a lot of gray area in taxes. It shouldn't be, okay, how can I push the line just enough to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm not getting a phone call or, or, or a letter in the mail. It should be, how can I please God? How can I make sure that God is pleased with what I'm doing? Evangelizing opportunities. All of you have neighbors and coworkers and, and people that you're around, and we all get that fear of like, man, I don't know if today is the day I should evangelize. They don't look like they're happy today. I don't know if I got enough time. Uh, you, you have all these thoughts in your mind. None of those thoughts should concern you. The only aim you should have in your mind is how can I please God? What would be pleasing to God in this situation? My schedule? How they respond to it? Or God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we should aim for. We should have an audience of one. An audience of one. It's not about your feelings. It's not about other people's feelings. It's what does God think about this? How can I please God in what I'm doing? And Paul says you can be of good courage when you do that. You can walk away every single time saying, I did what God wanted me to do. And come what may, whatever happens from there, that's up to the Lord, not up to me. Here's the other thing that it does. You can be of good courage when you know your aim is to please him. But the second thing it'll do, it'll, it'll improve your prayer life. When you aim to please God, it will improve your prayer life. How? 1 John 3, 21 and 22. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. John says this, beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. When we do what pleases God, we can have confidence that he's going to answer our prayers because that's our whole motivation. Our whole motivation is to obey his commandments and do what's pleasing to him. When we do that, he's going to answer our prayers. He promised to do that. And as he's answering your prayers, you're going to get more and more confidence in your prayer life, and you're going to want to go before God, go before his throne and pray even more because guess what? He's answering those prayers. Why? Because you're doing what's pleasing to him. That's your motivation. It's not about what you want to do in life. 
It's not about what's going to make other people happy. It's not about what's going to make your bank account bigger. It's my purpose and my aim and my priority in life foundationally is to do what pleases God. I just want to start there. If I start there, God will take care of the rest because I'm aiming to please him. Super Bowl was a couple weeks ago, and um, I really didn't care what the, who won the Super Bowl because, to my surprise, my team wasn't in there. Um, thought they would be, but they weren't, again. Uh, but I found myself rooting for Brock Purdy because how he's come out and he's starting, or not starting to, but we're starting to hear more about it, how he's professing and proclaiming his faith. Not just like, hey, I give it up to the big man upstairs. Like, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about his salvation, and he's talking about his life aiming to be pleasing to the Lord. And here was a quote that uh, he recently said. He says, my identity isn't in football. I know who I am. And God, if you, wanna, if you want me to do great with football, great. If not, all right, let's go do something else wherever you need me, wherever you need me. That's allowed me not to put all this pressure on myself. It's allowed me to play free. It's allowed me to live my life and keep things simple. I love that. Love that. Young adult coming out on uh, all the, the cameras and everything around him, and he's saying, football or not football? My, my aim is to please God. So if he has me here starting in the Super Bowl or if he has me here back on the farms, my aim is to please him in everything that I'm doing. You and I can take something away from that and say our identity is not in our circumstances. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in your bank account. Your identity is not in whatever you're doing. Your identity, if you are a Christian, is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And just as Jesus did when he was here on earth, his whole motivation was to please the Father. You and I should have our motivation to do the exact same thing, to be pleasing to the Lord. Everything that we do should be pleasing to God above all else. How do we do that? We need to know what God wants in order to be pleasing to him. And that starts off with, as I mentioned before, is studying his word. We got to be in his word. We got to be in his word. Every time you open up his word, God can, will enlighten your mind, right? You go into his word, you study it, and you, you seek to understand how it can apply to your life, how it should transform you. Because look, the, the Bible is not just a history book that you read and close it. You should meditate on this. What is God trying to get in my life today? How is he trying to transform me today? As I read this passage that I'm reading right now, how is this applied in my life? And God will enlighten you through this, that type of study and allow you to be transformed to be more like him. We got to be in his word. We got to be in prayer. We got to be in prayer. This is a, 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 a wonderful resource that God has given, the best resource that we can have to go before God and make our requests be made known to him. Right? Give thanksgiving to him. Confess our sins to him. That is a, 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 a resource that God has given us that we don't use enough. And we should, because this is the creator of all things that's saying, I'll, I'll, I'll hear your prayers. And I, don't want, I only won't hear them, I'll answer your prayers if they're according to my will. We need to be in prayer more. And here's another one, we need to seek wise counsel. When you're trying to make it your priority to please God, and that is your aim, you need to seek wise counsel. Because sometimes in between your ears, when you just make a decision on your own, you're going to be biased towards yourself. You're going to be biased towards what's best for you. Or what you think you want. You're, you're, you're jaded. I don't care if you're the most holiest person. When we're in isolation, when we think we can make decisions on our own, 
it can easily be swayed. Sometimes it could be right, but it can easily be swayed into what we want as opposed to what is going to be pleasing to God. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, right? A lot of wise counselors, there's safety. There's safety. You're about to make a decision. You need help with a situation in your life. Go ask a brother in Christ. That's not invested in the situation because they can look at it and say, I don't care who wins here. I want you to be pleasing to the Lord, and I can help you make that decision because I'm not in the midst of it. I can look at it from outside looking in. The Ephesians were surrounded by unbelievers, and Paul is urging them not to fall back into their former ways. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Echoes what we read in Ephesians 2 at the beginning of that, right? He's telling them who they once were until Christ saved them. But back in our passage, Ephesians 4, picking up in verse 20, the second half of it, he wants them to grow up in their new self, to continue to be built, built up in their new self. Verse 20, this is what he says. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. I love it how he says you learned Christ. It's not that you learned about Christ. It's not that you learned some factual knowledge about Christ. He's saying this is the way that you learn Christ stating that there's a relationship there that you're learning. This is not a, a dead person that you're learning historical fact. You're learning Christ. It continues to go on and on and on, right? Continuous learning, not just at the point of salvation. That's not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, right? Jesus is the truth. But going back up to that, it says heard about him in the original Greek language. There's no about it's saying, as you heard him, almost insinuating is you, you didn't hear directly from Christ. They didn't hear from Christ. But as we teach his word, just like you and I right now, as we study his word, we're hearing from Christ. Right? We're hearing from Christ. You didn't hear about him. You heard from him. That's what Paul wants them to understand. You, you're hearing exactly what Christ taught you through the word, through Paul speaking to them. And you were taught in him. You were taught that, that it's just not a, a slight shift in your life. It's a radical change. The truth, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. He calls himself the truth, the life. 22, to put off the old self, right? You're putting off old self. He's not talking about salvation here, which belongs to the former manner of your life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The reason you can know he's not talking about salvation, because again, during that salvation time, you are putting off the old, you're putting on the new. But if we look at the parallel passage in Colossians 3, 8, and 9, it says this, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. He keeps going on and on. And he says, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. So it's this, this idea of you've already put off the old self, but continue to keep the old self off and live in this manner, right? And so you've already done that by being saved. But now we're talking about more the, the sanctification, your walk in Christ now. So continue to put off that old self and live for the new self, and to be, verse 23 in our past, and to be renewed in the spirit, renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That renewal of the spirit of your mind sounds like Romans 12 too, uh, but your, your mind and, and brain control uh, how you respond to things. Right when something happens, your mind and brain get the, get the fire and uh, all the synapses, and then, then, then you respond. Right? And he's saying that renewal of your mind because uh, as a non-Christian, you have this worldly way and this fleshly way to approach things. 
And so right when it happens, then you approach it the way you think is best. But as a new creation in Christ, you have this new mind, you have this new um, uh, a brain, in a sense, that is, is, is focused on God. And so he's saying the renewal of your mind. When you become a new creation in Christ, you have this new way of, of, of responding to things. It's no longer, I'm going to respond how I want to respond. I want to respond as what's pleasing to Christ. But then that, that, that mind continues to get renewed over a period of time, right? And the longer and longer you become a Christian, the more and more renewed your mind should be. The more and more renewed uh, your, 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 your spirit should be in pleasing God. And that should become the natural way that you respond to things. Uh, it should grow increasingly more and more towards Christ's likeness than not. Jesus gives an illustration in John 11 uh, talking about Lazarus and uh, John 11, of course, Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are, are crying for Jesus to come, uh, but Lazarus is dead now. And so Jesus shows up on the scene after he's quote unquote dead. And they're basically like, what, what took you so long? And we see Jesus wept. And then all of a sudden he goes to the tomb and he has it rolled back and he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And I can just imagine at that time they're like, I, I told you he was dead, right? That brother ain't coming out. But Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And then in verse 44, it says, the man who had died, he came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. See, the goal of our Christian life is our, our sanctification. Not only have we been made new in Christ, but we are to continuously be more, made more and more like Christ. And I love that passage because it says, unbind him, right? He's no longer dead. Take those dead clothes off of him. He has life now and, and let him go. We need to think about our Christian life the same way. We were once dead and Jesus has unbound us. Right? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been unbound and then now we are to, to, to go. To go be more like Christ. Go be more sanctified. Continuously learn and have a renewed mind. And that's point number two for us this morning. Is you and I need to continuously grow in Christ's likeness. Right? We've been given new clothes and now we are to go and be more and more like Christ, have that renewal of our mind all throughout the rest of our life. It should never be stagnant because if it's stagnant, it's going backwards. We should always be growing in Christ's likeness. We have to move forward with that. So just like replacement surgery, if any of you have had a, a hip replaced or a knee replaced, they, they give you a new knee or a new hip. Right? And then it, it just doesn't start functioning like it should right away, you got to work that thing, right? You got to build that muscle and continue to build that muscle over a period of time. Just like when we become a new creation, we become a new creation in Christ. And it's not like, oh, I can just sit back and not do anything else. Right? Sanctification occurs then, right? We should continue to, 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 to study. We should continue to be in his word. We should continue to, to uh, seek Christ in everything that we do. And he grows us to be more and more like him, continuously grow in Christ's likeness. If that's a foundation in our life, uh, that's a great thing. My aim is to please God and to, to continue to grow in, in, in Christ's likeness. If I can get those two things down, I, the decisions that I'm going to make, they're, they're probably going to be on par with what God wants me to do if I'm thinking that way. If those are the motivations behind everything that I do. Colossians 3.10 talks about that renewal of the mind. I, I mentioned 8 and 9. You can put verse 10 there. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, right? We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. We're being renewed in knowledge after God, but Jesus is the one that we can look at and see how to be pleasing to God. 
Right, Romans 12, 1, 2, I mentioned that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewal of our mind, continuously being renewed to be more and more like Christ each and every day. The difference between you as a Christian and the rest of the world, one of the main differences is that Bible that you have in your laps, on your phones, is our life, right? We want to be transformed by it. The rest of the world is going to look at it and say, you know, this is a nice, nice historical book, has a few good things, a few good takeaways that I can apply to my life if I like it. If I don't, then I ditch it. But you and I say, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. This is what God wants me to be. And my life should be transformed by the Bible. That's how we continue to grow in Christ-likeness. There's that old saying, you, you, you get out what you put in. And it's more from a physical standpoint, like your training. You get out what you put in. Right? You, you, got a, you got a big big race or, or competitive event, and you eat like trash the week before, guess what? That, that trash is going to eventually come out in your performance. You get out what you put in. It works the same way spiritually. You get out what you put in. Right? Pastor Mike, this past weekend, depending on what service you were in, he talked a lot about that synergism. That it's that dual effort that God is working in us, but then there's also our responsibility as well. And if you, your life is not growing in Christ's likeness, then it's not God's fault because God is going to do his thing. He's going to do his job 100% of the time. He's going to do it perfectly. The reason we don't grow in Christ's likeness the way that we think we ought to grow is because we're, it's, it's us. It's what we're putting in. And therefore, what's coming out, God is going to do without fail what he needs to do to spiritually grow us. Even look at that being in a, a trial or a hard time. Um, God, God does that. Right? We don't need to let God off the hook for that. God puts us in those situations. Why? To make life rough for us? Not necessarily, but to grow us to be more like him. To grow us in Christ's likeness. And so even in those situations when we can have introspection to, to look at our own life and say, what sin do I have in my life that maybe I need to be taking a look at? Or what is God trying to teach me here? If we can think about those things and say, how can I be pleasing to God and how can I grow in Christ's likeness even in this trial that I'm in, then that would be a good thing. That's how we continue to grow in Christ's likeness is looking at what is God trying to teach me here as opposed to saying, how can I get out of this it's different from the world, of course, as Paul is trying to tell them to be, because the whole world tries to spend their life avoiding trials. They do. No, the, the world, a non-Christian, does not want trials. Why? Because it devastates them. It devastates them. You let them get a cancer diagnosis. You let them get uh, uh, financial issues. You let them get laid off from their job. You let them have marital. It, it devastates them. But the difference is you and I as Christians can look at it and say, God is trying to teach me something here. He's trying to teach me something here. How can I grow in Christ-likeness? How in the midst of this bad situation that I don't want to be in, how can I make all my decisions pleasing to the Lord and allow him to get the glory in our life? Two foundational things. Make it a priority to please God and continuously grow in Christ. Um, I got this article uh, from a brother in MBS. He's not here. It's on Tuesday night. And I don't know if he was trying to encourage me. Normally, he sends me these things to encourage me, but this one didn't encourage me at all. Um, it's kind of weird. And it said, uh, one in five men change their underwear 
every five days. It's not encouraging. I wasn't trying to hear that. Um, and if you're not saying, oh, dude, change your underwear. It's not, it's not a normal thing. I don't care about your water savings or anything like that. Just, it, it would be a good thing. It would be pleasing to the Lord. I don't have a scripture to reference to that, but it probably would be pre- pleasing to the Lord. Um, but then I looked at it further, and it said uh, one in five men in, in Great Britain. So there you go, Sanders. Those are your people. Um, one in five. So Americans, I guess we're a little bit better than that. Uh, but it said a whole week, a whole week without changing their underwear. And, uh, you know, flipping them inside out, I don't know what you're doing, but it's just not good. It's just not good. Uh, you should change it. But the whole thing that I couldn't help but think of, I'm like, I imagine, I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt and say at some point in those five days you've taken a shower. You've taken a shower, but then yet you go back and put on dirty clothes. Makes no sense, right? It defeats the purpose of the shower because you're putting on the dirty laundry that you once had. If you're a Christian here, uh, then you need to realize that you've been clean through the blood of Christ. You've had the best cleaning that you could ever have through the blood of Jesus Christ from the inside, right? You've been made clean from the inside, and that means you and I shouldn't continue to wear our old clothes, right? We shouldn't continue to dabble in our old manner of life. We shouldn't continue to have these areas of our life where we look just like the rest of the world because we've been made clean, spotless to where we stand before the Father and we look like we've never sinned before because of the work of Jesus Christ and only through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to have that motivation in our life. We need to know that there is no sin that can overtake us. We have the spirit that is within us, if you are a Christian, to overcome any sin in your life. And so we need to work at overcoming that sin. We need to be prayerful about that. We need to seek to eradicate that in our life, that sin that we've grown grown callous to. And it starts off by having those motivations that we talked about. Everything that you're doing, make it a priority to please God. And everything that you're doing, make sure that you are seeking to continuously grow in Christ's likeness. You do that, then God will, yes, bring forth some areas in your life that need to be dealt with and that you need to do business between you and him in that area of your life. And our goal to be, should be to please him. And when we do that, we can continue to walk in that, that, that light that is pleasing to the Lord. And we can continue to shed off those areas that look like the rest of the world. And God will use us to be a bright lampstand, and he will use us to make an impact in the lives of many that need to hear about King Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you, one, for forgiving us of our our sins. Lord, we have many. And, Lord, you promised that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful to forgive us. So, Lord, I pray that if there are sins right now, that need to be confessed, that there are areas in our life that have been brought to surface even as we read your word now through this passage. Lord, I pray that we would seek to please you, that we would not try to justify why we are angry, justify why we act this way, justify why we have grown, grown callous in our hearts, but that we would always think about that day that we will stand before you. And there won't be an audience of people. It will just be you. And we will have to answer to those. And, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be able to have a turning point in our life where we said we, we were no longer going to sin anymore. 
and that we were going to aim to please you in everything that we did. And we were going to aim to be more like Christ in those areas of our life. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that has not completely surrendered their life to Christ, Lord, I pray that that would happen. That they would surrender their life to Christ and become a new creation and start to have their mind renewed to be pleasing to you. So Lord, help us with that. Thank you for the study. Thank you for the convictions that it brings. Thank you for the encouragement that we can know that we have in you, a God that is gracious and merciful. And Lord, I just pray that we would be pleasing to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.